Well, let's open our Bibles to the book of Judges, please. Judges, chapter 4. Judges, chapter 4. We have a lot of ground to cover this morning. I'd like to cover chapter 4 and a little bit of chapter 5 as well. I'd like to preach a sermon to you with the title of, Where Were You? Where were you? And in Judges 4 and 5, we're going to be reading about a battle that took place with Jabin, the king of Canaan, and the host, the captain of his host was a man named Sisera. Uh, just out of curiosity, how many of you are familiar with this story? Not, okay, a few people are. I, that, that's why we're going to go through chapter 4. We're going to do this briefly just to get you the, the background and the context of this battle but I also want to bring to your attention the reason I'm using this uh, as a sermon this morning. In the New Testament, the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We understand from that that our weapons are not carnal, that is, they're not physical. We don't fight the battle physically, bullets, bombs, guns, and so forth. Uh, we are in the midst of a spiritual battle. The moment you received Christ as your Savior, you were enrolled in the Lord's army. And the Bible says, it commands us to endure hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. The Bible commands us to fight the good fight of faith. Paul says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness and high places and the rulers the darkness of, of this world he says wherefore put on the whole armor of God over and over again we read where a Christian a born-again believer we are in the midst of a spiritual battle and in the book of Judges that's what you have one after another is is wars and wars and battles and uh, thank God each time there's a victory and I just want to encourage you today before we even get into the message that the fight is worth it one day, our victory, it is secure. We know that, that all of the effort that we put into this spiritual battle, it will end up with a victory. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So with that being said, can I ask you to bow your heads and let's pray together and then we'll talk about this more. Father, thank you, Lord, you've already spoken to my heart this morning. Lord, what a wonderful message we already had from from uh, the Sunday school time. God, help us to hold on to that and help us, God, as we get into this, please speak to our hearts. Lord, help us to be mindful of this spiritual battle going on every day all around us. God, show us what we can do to make a difference in this battle. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Now, let's get you familiar with the story. Chapter four, verse one. The children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazor, the captain of whose host was Sisera, which dwelt in Harasheth of the Gentiles. Now just to, so that you know, I don't, I don't know how familiar you are with the Israeli map. Uh, you can look in the back of your Bibles. Most Bibles have maps in the back. There's the Sea of Galilee up in the north, and you have the Dead Sea down in the south, and it's connected by the River Jordan. Just north of the Sea of Galilee is where you'll find Hazor and you'll find Harasheth of the Gentiles up there in the north. I just want you to understand what we're, 
uh, reading here. Verse 3, the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had 900 chariots of iron. 900 of them. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to you and I. A chariot of iron, drop a bomb on it, right? Big deal. But, of course, they don't have aerial attacks at this time. There are no helicopters and airplanes and B-52s and long-range missile launchers and all of that stuff. 900 chariots of iron. In this day, that's the equivalent of a tank. This guy has 900 armored tanks. And that's why it's mentioned here. This army seemed unstoppable. What could we possibly do to overcome these guys? Verse 3, and 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. For 20 years he bullied them. Now I don't know if any of you have ever had to endure bullying. If you've been mistreated, maybe at a job or in your home, you grew up in a difficult situation. Guys, 20 years seems like an eternity. That, that gets rough even after 20 minutes, but 20 years of this. Verse number four, and Deborah, prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time. Said, Brother Mike, is this a woman preacher? Yes, it is. It says a prophetess. Is this, is this an amen? <laughs> now, guys, let me, let me point out one thing. She's not a New Testament pastor. Did God speak through her? Absolutely. Can God speak through a woman today? Absolutely. The Bible tells, does make it clear in the New Testament, a woman's not supposed to lead the church service, but that doesn't mean that God can't speak through a woman through other avenues. In verse number five, and she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel and Mount Ephraim, and the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Now again, just on your map, Sea of Galilee in the north, Jordan, uh, Jordan River, and then the Dead Sea. Where she is dwelling is right about in the middle, all right, mid, the midsection of Israel there. In verse 6, and she sent and called for Barack Obama, the son of Abin. <laughs> Sorry, I can't read that passage without putting Obama in there. <laughs> she said, bring the Americans. These guys got tanks. Because <laughs> you know the Americans are going to show up with all sorts of weapons. <laughs> and she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam, out of out of Kadesh Naphtali, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw together, or toward rather, Mount Tabor, and take with thee 10,000 men of the children of Naphtali and of the children of Zebulun. And I will draw unto thee the river, uh, to the river Kishon Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thine hand. Now, Barak, he obeys. He says, Deborah, if you go out with us and you're going to help us in this battle, and she says, I'll go. Now, again, just so you understand the map, the river Kishon, you might know this territory a little bit better if I were to explain it like this, the Valley of Megiddo. Now, most of us know of that place because of the book of Revelation. This battle that we're reading about actually takes place in the same exact location that the Battle of Armageddon will take place at. That's where we get Armageddon because it happens in the valley of Megiddo. So what you're reading about in chapter four and five is actually a great foreshadowing of future events and another greater battle that will take place uh, in the future when Jesus comes back. So Barak, he gathers Zebulonites and uh, Naphtali, the, these, these 
uh, fellow Jews, and they gather in this valley of Megiddo. And as we continue to read, somebody tells Sisera, Sisera about it, and he brings this army down, and he is going to squash this attempt of a mutiny. And as the Bible tells us in verse 15, the Lord disconfided Sisera and all his chariots and all his host with the edge of the sword before Barak. So Sisera lighted down off his chariot and fled away on his feet. So it says the Lord disconfited Sisera and all his chariots. That was what they were counting on, 900 iron chariots, 900 tanks. And as they rolled into battle, wheels start popping off. <laughs> and the horses give out and they fall into a ditch and everything goes wrong with these chariots. That's not the first time God has done this. You guys remember where he did that before? When the Egyptian army chased Israel into the Red Sea and they had an army of chariots and the wheels start coming off. This is just like God to take the very thing the world is trusting in and wreck it and say what you're trusting in isn't going to get you through. You're much better doing it God's way. So Sisera, he realizes this isn't going well. He gets down out of his chariot and he starts to run away on foot. Verse 18, And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said unto him, Turn in, my lord, turn in to me, fear not. And when he had turned in unto her into the tent, she covered him with a mantle. Now what had happened, the battle took place, listen to this, in the northwest province of Israel. <laughs> I know we're in the northwest province of South Africa, but it happened in, in the northwest of Israel. Now Sisera, he's running back home, and he, he meets this lady named Jael. Jael is the wife of a man named Heber the Kenite. Heber was a distant relative of Moses' father-in-law, so there's a very distant connection with the, the Israelites here. But Jael, she's basically a nobody. She is the wife of a distant relative of somebody who once knew Moses. I mean, it's, it's one of those, you know, I got a friend who had a dog, who had a dog groomer who went to the vet who knew a friend who had a cousin, and that's the guy. I mean, it, it's so distant. Jael is seemingly nobody. But it just so happens on this day, Sisera's running, and man, he's tired, and he's been through the war, and he's just trying to survive, and Jael comes out and meets him there by her tent and says, come on in. And it says in the middle of verse 18, and when he had turned in under her into the tent, she covered him with a mantle. So he's tired and cold and she gives him a blanket. And he said unto her, give me, I pray thee, a little water to drink for I am thirsty. And she opened a bottle of milk and gave him drink and covered him. Look at that. She didn't just give him water, she gave him milk. Now, this time, again, to you and I, that's not a big deal, but milk was a much... Uh, more precious commodity in these days it took a lot more work to get to get drinkable milk so she's really going out of her way to treat this guy nice verse 20 again he said unto her stand in the door of the tent and it shall be when any man doth come and inquire of thee and say is there any man here that thou shalt say no so now he has commissioned her to be the lookout then verse 21 jail heber's wife took a nail of the tent and took an hammer in her hand and went softly unto him and smote the nail into his temples. <laughs> How would you like to be married to her? <laughs> You'd never sleep good again. <laughs> and smote the nail into his temples and fastened it into the ground. 
for he was fast asleep and weary. And guess what happened next? So he died. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, I, I, think we, I think we gathered that. She nailed that sucker to the ground. She had set him up. She played him like a fiddle. Oh, I'm cold. Here's a blanket. I'm thirsty. Here's some milk. You know what the Bible tells you to do for your enemies? If they're hungry, give them bread to eat. If they're thirsty, I guess you give them milk. <laughs> and in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on their head. Or a, a, a nail. <laughs> of all the people that you would think that would be the hero of this story, J.L. was the most unlikely of them all. Who would have ever pegged her as the hero <laughs> and said she'll be the one to bring down this mighty host of Jabin's army. Verse 22, and behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said unto him, come and I will show thee the man whom thou seekest. And when he came into the tent, behold, Sisera lay dead and the nail was in his temples. Sure. Can you imagine Barak walking into the tent and she's saying, uh, sorry, pardon me, sir. She's very, very genteel, very feminine, very nice. Soft-spoken, soft-hearted, humble lady. Oh, pardon me, sir. Is this the guy you're looking for? <laughs> and I can just see she still has the hammer in her hand. <laughs> I mean, there's Thor, and then there's J.L., the wife of Heber, with her mighty hammer. I mean, <laughs> what a sight. What a sight. Verse 23, so God subdued on that day Jabin the king of Canaan before the children of Israel and the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin the king of Canaan until they had destroyed Jabin king of Canaan. Now what happens in chapter 5 is, is a, a period of rejoicing because of the victory. In chapter 5 and 1, then sang Deborah. I think you guys say Deborah, don't you? Deborah. De De how do you say it? Oh, you say Deborah. The rest of the church says Deborah, don't you? <laughs> a am I right? Haven't I heard that among South Africans? That you guys say Deborah? You guys also say Nehemia. <laughs> Nehemiah. Nehemiah. <laughs> Deborah. I, it just sounds so strange. It, it, they're both right. Amen. They're both right. We're going to get up there. there. There's probably a third pronunciation and we, we all have it wrong. <laughs> They'll tell us one day. Then sang Deborah and Barak the son of Abinoam on that day saying, Praise ye the Lord for the avenging of Israel when the people willingly offered themselves. For the rest of this chapter, they're going to retell the story of the battle and how they overcame. And then if you come down to verse 14... Deborah and Barak are going to sing about various people that helped out in the battle. Folks, I just want to remind you of something. Right now, we refer to Christians that are still alive down on the earth as the church militant. The church militant because we are still in the thick of the battle. We are still fighting the good fight. Amen. We should be. And then those that have died and gone to heaven, those Christians that have passed away, we refer to them as the church triumphant. 
because they have overcome, they, their battle is done, they are waiting for us in heaven. So we are the church militant, they are the church triumphant. One day, the whole church, the entire body of Christ will be raptured out of this world and the entire church will be triumphant. And we as well will stand in the presence of our Savior and sing and rejoice and say, praise ye the Lord. And one by one, recognition will be given to the people that participated in the battle. You understand where I'm going with this? One by one, somebody will say, hey, you did this and that helped us in the battle. You participated. You were a meaningful part of the war and you helped us overcome. And then for some people, we're going to look and say, now where were you? Because you're a part of the church. That is, you are saved. You are a member of the body of Christ. But we're really not sure what part you're playing in this spiritual battle. Where were you when the battle was taking place? So all of, all of what I've said so far, is act as, that, that acts as an introduction. This is now the sermon. Verse 14, out of Ephraim was there a root of them against Amalek. So as I've said, Deborah is just giving recognition to who participated. And the Ephraimites, had, they, they played a part. After thee, Benjamin, among thy people, out of Maker came down governors, and out of Zebulun, they that handle the pen of the rider. Look at there, Janae, this is for you, sister. They recognize the secretaries. <laughs> they said somebody had to take notes. Some, somebody had to say, send this message to so-and-so on the other side of the battlefield, and someone had to write it down and hand that message off. Amen. Somebody has to handle the pen. In verse 15, and the princes of Issachar were with Deborah, even Issachar and also Barak. He was sent on foot into the valley. So some people are going to be on the front lines. Some people are going to be right there at the thick of it, right where all the action is. And then other people are not down there in the front line. But you need them pulling their weight elsewhere. Do you understand that everybody's going to play a different part in the spiritual battle? And at the end, everybody gets their due recognition. But here's where the problems begin. It says at the end of verse 15, For the divisions of Reuben, there were great thoughts of heart. After this battle was over, and maybe even during the battle. I would even say during the battle. Reuben, the tribe of Reuben was divided. They didn't know, do we want to get involved? Do we not want to get involved? What part should we play? And rather than actually doing something, it appears that all they did was hang back and talk about it. From what I read, it, it could be that some of the Reubenites eventually went to to the battle but then some of them just stayed home now I hope you're familiar with your Bible enough to know what's special about the tribe of Reuben but there were two tribes and another half of a tribe Reuben Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh whenever Israel settled in the land of Canaan Reuben and Gad didn't go into the west side of Canaan they stayed on the other side Jordan but Moses told him in Numbers chapter 20, uh, 32 he said, guys, you can build your sheepfolds here on the east of Jordan. That's fine. But if you don't cross over Jordan and help your brothers fight this battle and settle in the land, then God is going to punish you and you're not going to get that land that you desire. 
And the Reubenites and the Gadites, they said, we will surely go and help our brothers fight this battle. And this is where we get the now very famous verse. The Bible says in Numbers 32, 23, but if you will not do so, ye have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. How many of you have heard that verse before? Be sure your sin will find you out. Did you know it came from that story? Because Reuben said, we have a lot of cattle. We have a lot of sheep. And we, we would be very comfortable to just sit here on the east side of Jordan where we've already won this battle. We would like to just set up sheepfolds and, and corrals for our cattle and let our brothers do the fighting. Reuben said, no, no. We are going to go help. We are going to pitch in and make sure our brothers also win some victories. We're going to help them settle in their own land. And then when the battle's over, we're going to come back into our comfort area, into our sheepfolds and take care of them. The Reubenites did it. When they went into the land, they helped out. They fought the battle. But now, this is several years later, a couple hundred years later, and as this battle starts, I, I guarantee some of the Reubenites were saying, you know what? We already helped them once. We fought with them a couple hundred years ago. We've pitched in. We've done our part. Now, can't we just stay home and let somebody else do all the work? You know what I found? There's a lot of people that used to pitch in and used to do something, but they're not doing as much anymore. And they, they are resting, they are resting on the good works that they had five or ten years ago. They think because at one point in the past they were excited about the things of God, that somehow extends to the future. And it says in verse 16, Why abodest thou among the sheepfolds to hear the bleedings of the flocks? For the divisions of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. The Israelites, listen, all of them, all of them were discouraged because one tribe didn't want to get involved. Reuben was there discussing and arguing and saying, but I don't understand why. Why do we have to do this? Why are we all the time pressured into getting more involved? We've done enough, haven't we? And the other 11 tribes are looking at this thinking, how can you not see the need to get involved? Why is it that you want to hang back? Aren't you, and aren't you on the same team as us? Can't you suffer when we suffer? Can't you weep when we weep? Can't you rejoice when we rejoice? Why are you separating yourself from the rest of us? And their lack of involvement discouraged everyone. And I'm sure the Bible tells us there were great searchings of heart. People were asking themselves as they're going out to the battle, where are the Reubenites? Why aren't they here? You know, some of us, when we come to prayer meeting or when we gather for Sundays, our services, uh, when we come back tonight, we're going to be asking, where are you? Why isn't so-and-so here? We have be warmed and filled. We have Bible school. We have prayer meetings. We have witnessing sessions. We have discipleship. We have, so we have youth events, student events. We have men's meetings. We have women's meetings. If that's not enough for you, call me Better yet, I can't speak. Write me a text message and we'll make something up for you to do. Amen? People are sicking in the hospital all the time. You want something to do? You can go visit them. We got so much to do and what, my question is, where are you? One day you're going to get to heaven and the Lord Jesus is going to look you square in the eye and say, now there was a lot to do in that battle and you could have pitched in. Where were you? 
Where were you? You know where you were, verse 16? You were just hanging out by the sheep folds, listening to the sheep. You know what that's the equivalent of? You just went to work. And after you were done at work, you went home. You know what you did the next day? Went back to work. You went home. And the next day you went back to work. And then you went home. And that's all you did. You know, it's a shameful thing if you get to heaven and the only thing you can say is, I went to work and I went home. I went to work and I went home. Now, I'm not preaching against going to work because some of you need to do that too. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with going to work, but as we heard in the message before this one, you can even do that for the Lord. If it's done the right way, you can use that as an opportunity to, to make a statement and to give a testimony for Christ. But for some people, that's the long and short of it. They're going to hang out by the sheepfold and just listen to the sheep. Great searchings of heart. This isn't the only group that happened that there was a problem with. Come, to, come down to verse number 23. They go on and they sing about this. Curse ye Meros, said the angel of the Lord. Curse ye bitterly the inhabitants thereof, because they came not to the help of the Lord to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Now for the Reubenites, there were great searchings of heart. They said, why, why are some of the Reubenites willing to get involved? Some of them, all they want to do is just live their life, go to work, and stay out of the battle altogether. But at least some of the Reubenites pitched up. At least they were willing to talk about it. You know what I've found for a lot of Christians, they'd rather talk about the fight, fight than actually fight it. Have, have you ever met anybody that did this? They say, you know what, I'm not going to go to church because I, I, don't, I don't understand why Christians fight and argue about baptism. You know, some people believe in klein duop, some believe in chrut duop. Some believe in the rapture, some don't. Some believe in free will, some don't. And they say, you know what, since there's all these divisions, I'm just not going to get involved. Uh, folks, can we all agree that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again? then how about we do something about that? Chances are, if you just get involved and start doing something about what you know to be true, the rest of that stuff will sort itself out. But because of the bleedings of the sheep and people, yep, 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 some don't get involved. But at least the Reubenites were willing to argue about it. The Mirazites, they wouldn't even do that. You know, Miroz, that's that's right next to the Valley of Megiddo. This battle was taking place in their backyard, literally. And you know what they did? They knew the battle was happening, and they didn't even consider getting involved. At least the Reubenites had some divisions. Some wanted, some no. They got a little involved, not fully involved. Not Miro's. Miro's said, you know what? I've made my decision. I'm not even going to consider it. There's no bother. You don't even have to talk to me about it. I am not going to participate. And one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever had to endure in the ministry is preaching to people that come to church with that attitude. You predetermined before you showed up this morning, it doesn't matter what I say, I could set my hair on fire, you wouldn't pay attention. doesn't matter if I cry, doesn't matter if I tell jokes, it doesn't matter if we have a band, it doesn't matter if we turn the lights down low, none of that matters. You have determined, you Mirazite, you're just not going to fight. This is the 
long and short of your Christian experience. You're doing it right now. You see, out there, folks, that is the, that's the battlefield. When you go to work tomorrow, when you go to school this week, that's the spiritual battlefield where, where the devil really lays it on thick and hard and it gets tough and you need each other. You need to support each other and help each other through that tough week and through those tough times to get through the temptations, to stand for Christ, to win some souls, to make a difference in this world. But the Mirazite says, you know what? I know the battle's happening right there, backyard, right there. As soon as we step out the door, I'm back into the battle. This is a bit of a reprieve. This is where you can rest from the battle for those of you that have been fighting spiritually all week and you need a break. This is where you get the break. This is where you get to gather with the other soldiers and sit around the campfire and talk about the battle all week and, and try to encourage each other to go back out the next week and do it again. But the Mirazite, all he does is sit there and say, well, good luck, guys, but don't bother me with it. Don't even bother asking. I'm not going to consider it. I had a lady come to me one time, and she said, Pastor, I really enjoy your preaching. But don't ask me ever to tell anyone else about the gospel. I will never do it. How am I supposed to respond to that? What do you want me to say to that? I mean, this sweet, dear Tani, I love her to pieces, but with that attitude, how, how am I supposed to find any encouragement in that? She said, don't ask me. I won't do it. Let me ask you, folks. Maybe some of you are Reubenites. You pitch in a little, but not fully. You're committed to work more than you are to the spiritual battle. Maybe you're a Mirazite. Maybe your attitude is, don't ask, Pastor. This is as much as I'll ever do. Which camp do you fall in? What is it on your list that you've said, listen, I am not going to do that. Don't ask, because it won't happen. I am not coming to that service. I will not participate in that activity. Now, don't look at me when you answer that question. Look at, look at the Lord. D do this. This is a great exercise. This is a wonderful exercise. I encourage you to do this every day of your life. Look up to heaven. You can even try it now. Just look up to heaven and say, Lord, I will not do, and then tell him what you won't do for him. Try it. It's one thing to say it to the pastor like sweet old Tawny did. Pastor, don't ask. I'll never do it. It's a whole other thing when you look up to heaven and say, Lord, I know you gave your all for me. You did everything for me. You laid down your life for me. But don't ask me to do. And you fill in the blank. You can see the Lord's attitude towards Miraz. He says, curse ye bitterly the inhabitants thereof. Because you watched the Mirazites, listen, it's happening in their backyard. They can turn around and watch Sisera's army fighting with Barak's army. They are watching it. They watched it, I said. They watched it and didn't lift a finger to help. They could have at least carried a cup of cold water to somebody. They could have at least went out to their brothers and sisters, their fellow Jews, and said, listen, you're fighting the good fight. Here's a cup of water to help you down the way. They didn't even do that. 
Didn't Jesus say that if a child offers a cup of cold water that they get their reward? Not the Mirazites. They were content to just watch somebody else fight the battle. One time I was in Delaware visiting a church and I, um, I got to spend a little bit of time with one of their deacons. I can't remember his name. It's been a long time ago now. But he was a retired Air Force captain, I think. And uh, so we had to go back up to the Air Force base for something, pick something up. And I, I went along with him. We were walking down, the, walking down the sidewalk to go into the building. And this guy was a very nice man, but a little bit goofy. Is that a word we're familiar with? He just had a goofy personality. He didn't try to be funny. He was just funny. He was just awkward. And he's walking along, and he, he's kind of, he always had his shoulder down. He's walking along like this. Uh, just goofy. And as he's walking along, there was a, a penny. Now, you South Africans, do you know what a penny is? Okay, in American money, that's, the, that's as small as it gets. One cent. Today, pennies are, pr that's something you throw at people. You don't use that for paying for anything. <clears throat> this, this retired Air Force captain saw a penny on the, on the sidewalk. And he stopped and said, oh. He got all excited. He went, oh, a penny. <laughs> and he picked it up. And <laughs> I didn't know what to say. I, Congratulations. I <laughs> He, he said, look, look, Brother Mike, I found a penny. <laughs> Bless his heart, he's really excited about this penny, this useless, absolutely nothing penny. He picked it up, put it in his pocket, and kept walking into the building. I said, okay. I, I, you know there's a saying in America, find a penny, pick it up, and all day long you'll have good luck. Yeah. I don't know if that's uh, true. <laughs> But maybe in his mind it meant something. He picked that penny up, put it in his pocket, and off he went. And, you know, it's never left my mind how goofy, but also amusing to see him so happy over such a small opportunity. But he wouldn't bypass it. Just something small that he could pick up. But he wouldn't walk past it. Do you know how many people probably walked past that penny and thought it's not worth bending my back to pick up that? And I, I, I think of that. The reason that story comes to mind is, is here's Miros and they see this opportunity and it's not just some dirty old penny. This is an opportunity to really do something and it's right there in front of you. It's right there. All they had to do is bend over. All they had to do was get involved. But they thought, ah, we'll fight the next battle. Not this time. Folks, how many of you are bypassing opportunities every day where you could actually make a difference? You could smile at somebody. You could offer them a word of encouragement. You could offer them a gospel track. You could do something. But day after day, you bypass it like a dirty old penny on the ground and say, what's, what's the big deal? There's plenty of other people fighting the battle. Why do I need to get involved? I'll just let you pick up the penny. One day you're going to get to heaven if you're saved. And you're going to find there's a whole lot of little opportunities that you bypass because you thought it was too small. You didn't think it was worth picking up and doing something with it. Friend, don't be a Mirazite. You get to heaven and find out, wow, 
Where was I during the battle? I had my chance and I didn't fight it. It's not as if once you get to heaven, there's going to be dirty pennies laying around. There, there are no more opportunities to get involved. This is your one shot. Folks, I said, this is your one shot. This is it. Hey, teenagers, teenagers, look up here at me. You have one chance. Where are the teenagers? Teenagers, raise your hand. I want to know where you're at. Teenagers, teenagers, teenagers. Well, Mizak, put your hand down. <laughs> teenagers, teenagers. <laughs> All right, we got a few teenagers here. Listen, you only have one chance of being a teenager. Amen. You old folks need to say amen there. Some of you people need to remember that because you're, you're in your 30s and you're still trying to act like you're in your teens. You need to get over that now and grow, grow out of that. You got one shot at being a teenager. Give your teenage years to Christ. One of the greatest accomplishments in my life, one of the things that I'm the most proud of, and I don't mean that in a, in a bad way. You understand, I'm just very happy that, this, that I was able to do this. I gave my 20s to God. I got saved at age 20. And I determined at that time, just about a month after I got saved, I said, God, I want to give you my 20s. And I gave God my 20s. And when I hit 30 on my birthday, I did the same thing. I said, God, I want to give you my 30s. And when I hit my 40, I said, okay, God, that's about it. (laughs) Life is over. (laughs) No, I, I hit my 40s and I said, God, here's another decade that I can give you. Start now. Don't bypass the dirty penny. Don't stare at the battle in your backyard. Do something with it. Do something with it while you can. One last person I think we need to recognize, verse 24. Blessed above women. Shall Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, be blessed Shall she be above women in the tent? He asked water. She gave him milk. She brought forth butter in a lordly dish. They're waxing eloquent here. Now, Mary, the mother of Jesus, the Bible says in Luke chapter 1, Blessed art thou among women. Yes? Blessed art thou among women. This verse says, blessed above women shall Jael be. She actually got a spot above Mary. (laughs) Mary's blessed among women. This Jael blessed above women. Of all the heroes you would expect, Jael is the most unlikely and unsung hero that you have in this story. Who would have thought that a housewife, because that's what she was. So what was she doing? She was a keeper at home. She, kept, she was there at the tent. That's all she was doing. Do you think she woke up that morning and thought, okay, today I have a chance to deliver, to deliver the enemy of Israel to their hands. Today I'm going to be the pivotal point in this battle. I can make a change in not only my family's life, but in the life of this entire nation because I'm ready to do whatever the Lord wants me to do. You think she woke up expecting that? But when the opportunity arose, J.L. took advantage of it. You know what I found? There's a lot of folks, they get discouraged because they think, I'm not on the front lines. I'm not down there in the valley of Megiddo fighting the battle. All I have is the pen in my hand. All I do is stay at home with the kids. 
Housewives, if I could encourage you just a little bit, do you understand what a massive privilege that is? To stay home and to shape that young child's life, their heart, their mind, to teach them to love God and the Bible, to show them what a loving mother looks like. Do you realize how massively important and what a difference you're making? Don't take that lightly. Can I ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy 5? I'd like to show you these two verses before we're done. As you're turning there, I'd like to tell you about a lady. I've never spoken of her here. Matter of fact, I don't think I've ever mentioned her in any of my sermons. That might be her calling now, I don't know. (laughs) Honey, I think you'll remember this lady, Carolyn Walker. Do you remember her? Mrs. Carolyn Walker was a lady that, that we met right when we got saved. We met her two days after we got saved. She was uh, in the church that we, were, that we got saved in. And Mrs. Walker, I can't remember what the disease was that she had. Do you remember? That's it, fibromyalgia. She, she was in a massive amount of pain every single day. And Mrs. Walker, she would sit and talk with us. And, and sometimes she couldn't even come to church because she was in so much pain. But then the next time we'd see her, she would say, Brother Mike, I'm praying so much for you and your lovely wife. And we were just getting started. We didn't know anything. But every time we saw that lady, there was a smile on her face. And she had the glow of God on her. Oh my goodness, it was the first person that I ever met like that. That every time I got around them, I walked away feeling as if God had just been there. I mean, she just had the Lord all over her. She never preached a sermon. She didn't go out witnessing, not because she didn't want to, she physically couldn't. But when people would come around her, all she could talk about was Jesus. That's it. I never once heard her complain. But man, that lady could pray. She would list off the things that she was praying for and then she would list off all the answers to those prayers. Wow, could that lady pray. And I remember for, for years afterwards when things would go wrong, when some, something troubling would happen in my life, I would call or write Mrs. Walker and say, please pray about this because I knew if anybody was, she was a prayer, listen, prayer warrior. That's what we call them, right? Prayer warriors. And in the Christian life, Folks, you're going to have to get used to the idea that we fight most of the battles we fight down on our knees. You know how many people know this name, Carolyn Walker? Until I said the name today, you'd have no idea that she existed. But it was her example that taught me that trials and troubles and pain shouldn't stop you from loving Christ. And any time in my young Christian life that I got discouraged, I was able to think of her and say, how can I quit? I can see the grace of God all over that lady. And I know that God's grace will be sufficient for me no matter what I go through because look at her. It wouldn't surprise me at all one day when we get to heaven. And rather than me getting crowns, God calls Carolyn Walker forth and says, listen, that young man would have quit had he not seen your example. 
And all she did was stay in the tent ready to help in any way she could. But boy, did she help. Folks, you may not realize the difference that you're making just by being faithful. Just by standing ready. Unlike the Mirazites that have that attitude, that obstinate, stubborn attitude of, I'm never going to change. The opposite is JL that says, anything I can do anytime, just let me know. I'm ready to get involved. In 1 Timothy 5 and verse 24, some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment. And some men, they follow after. Powerful verse. We may not know everything that you're doing wrong you might have managed to hide some of your sins. But one day you won't be able to hide them any longer. One day it's all going to come out. Every secret thing. And in verse 25, he flips the coin over. Likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand. And they that are otherwise cannot be hid. There are some good things that people do stored away in their prayer closet or in their tent and no one knows that they're doing them but they're making a difference and right now it's hidden we don't see it it's not obvious to everyone but one day that good deed that you did it won't be hidden anymore the Bible says God is not forgetful he, he won't forget your labor of love and one day at the judgment seat of Christ he calls you forth and he says J.L. come here no one else saw you do it. But what you were doing faithfully there at your tent, day in and day out, blessed above women, blessed above men. Come here. And he brings you forth and he, he has you kneel down before him and he takes that crown and places it on your head and says, well done. Well done. You see, when the victory is won, that's the time for recognition not now if you're doing it now for the recognition you're in the wrong dispensation <laughs> you gotta wait until you see the Lord face to face and then the recognition comes and then all the effort you put into the battle will be worth it but you might have to wait for some of you you're gonna stand before the Lord and he's gonna ask where were you there was a battle going on were you making excuses why you didn't want to go fight? Did you think that you had already done enough because you did something five years ago? Or were you a Mirazite and you just never wanted to get involved because you thought you didn't have any responsibility in it? Where were you? Or will he say, JL, I know where you were. You made a difference. You were ready to serve. Folks, how's it going to end up for you? when you stand before God what will he say where were you or well done let's all stand if you would please let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed and I'd like Caleb to play something softly and some of you, some of you need, need to ask yourself this question this morning Caleb I, I need my volume some of you need to ask yourself this question where are you right now in this battle 
What role are you playing? It doesn't have to be a frontline role, but you need to be doing something. You making a difference in anybody's life? Where were you this week? So many of us were so busy with other things. You know what the Bible says? No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. It's one thing to be busy with the things of life. It's another thing to be entangled by it. That's what the Reubenites did. They got entangled by it. They didn't want to fight because they were too busy with the sheep. I'm not against you paying attention to your business. But don't, don't do it when you... Don't sacrifice the battle just for that. Where were you this week? You spend any time in your prayer closet? Fight any battles down on your knees? Somebody needed Christ, needed to hear the gospel this week. Where were you? My goodness, even now, some of you, the only thing you can think is, when is this going to end? Listen, Mirazite. This is your chance to say, God, I'm sorry. I've had the wrong attitude about this. Please show me what I can do. Father, we thank you for reminding us about this battle that we're in. Lord, and I, I thank you, Father, this morning. We know that the victory is sure. We know that one day the church militant becomes triumphant. Lord, we don't want to get to heaven empty-handed. We want to be able to say that we participated, that we actually fought a good fight. We ran a good race. We kept the faith. We, we did what we were supposed to do to the best of our ability. God, we, do, we don't want to be absent when it's time to fight. Father, if there happens to be some Mirazites here, please soften their heart. God, if there's some Reubenites entangled by the affairs of this world, God, help them to pluck up the thorns and Lord if there's some jails here today please encourage them nobody might see what they're doing but Lord we know you do Father please bring us back tonight we'd like to hear some more Lord help us to be at the right place at the right time tonight and we ask it in Jesus name Amen <laughs>